Fishing like a local isn't just about catching fish. It's about connecting with the environment and the people who call it home. It's about hearing the stories and traditions that have been passed down for generations and sharing unforgettable moments with the people you meet along the way. Fishing like a local is having an experience that stays with you forever. And with Fishing Booker, you can experience it too, no matter where you are. Discover your next adventure on Fishing Booker. This upcoming concert season will be all about the boots, and Tecovis is your stop for the best in Western style. Tecovis has seasonal and limited edition offerings this spring and summer, including men's and women's boots, apparel, hats, bags, and more. All Tecovis boots are made by hand in a time-honored tradition with timeless styles that are always on trend. And Tecovis has first wear comfort with little to no break-in period. It's hard to find this level of comfort paired with this level of style. Stop by your local Tacova store, have a complimentary drink or two, that's WCB style, and shop new styles. The smell of fresh leather and friendly staff are at your service. Many stores even have leather custom branding to make your boots truly personalized. And with regular live music and events, there's no in-store experience like it. If you can't make it into a store, just visit tecovas.com. That's T-E-C-O-V-A-S.com. They offer free shipping on all boots, as well as free returns and exchanges, and ship right to your door. Go to tecovis.com and find your new favorite pair of boots today. From the Palmetto Swamps, to the Piney Woods, to the Oak Flats, you're listening to the Louisiana Bowhunter Podcast. You're listening to the Louisiana Bowhunter Podcast, presented by Scree Gear, Performance Hunting Apparel, Performance Layering System. Uh, first of the year, well-stocked. Been telling you the last couple of weeks on the podcast, if you didn't get the Scree you wanted for Christmas, you can still use the the code LABH for 20% off all regularly priced items on your first order at ScreeGear.com. Um, we actually got a little cool weather here the last... Uh, first week, not the last, but the first week of January, uh, cold enough to use some of the new Guardian bib and jacket or ptarmigan pants, some of the cold weather gear that they've come out with this year. A lot of positive reviews about that uh, from people all across the whitetail world. So follow them on social media, follow them on YouTube, find out more about the gear and shop online at screegear.com. Second week of January, Kyler, and uh, rutcation, so to speak, is kind of winding down, getting over with for everybody. Everybody getting back to the work thing. A lot of people have been hunting a whole lot. I know you have. How's it been for you the last week or so? It's going great, man. It's the first week of January. She had me, she freaked me out there, man. I figured I was, I've missed some meetings. Well, I guess you're right. It is still, as we're recording this, it's still the first week of January. But I, I guess in my mind, in my own personal schedule, I've got a lot going on the next few days, and really before, uh, it's going to be the second week of January before I get to hunt again, and I, I, I don't know, I guess my mind's just already kind of jumped forward. I kind of forget the fact that it's only Wednesday because I just got a busy week. 
how how's the new job? Well, mm, day, day two, I, day three, day three, day three. Um, so the new job really gets going tomorrow because I'm flying to the ATA show. Uh, flying to Louisville, Kentucky tomorrow to be at the ATA show, and uh, I'll I'll be able to answer this a lot more probably on the next podcast because I have spent most of the time leading up and and the last three days just you know how it goes when you start something new you try to prepare but but you you never really can you spend several days just organizing and and not just physically organizing but mentally organizing everything so um i don't know i don't have an answer i i have a bad answer which is i don't have an answer to your question i don't really know yet it seems kind of scattered um i've spent most of my time just getting prepared because with what I'm going to be doing, um, <clears throat> I'm going to have the opportunity to possibly pick up a lot of work over the next couple of days and what that's going to look like. So ask me again next week, and we'll see. Okay. I'll, <laughs> ask, you, I'll ask you again in the second week of January. And when it's actually the second week of January. Yes, the actual second week, yeah. Well, um, yeah. I, uh, so the first week of January has been going pretty well. Um, it kind of slowed down a little bit in the deer woods. I've been hunting a good bit at the camp. Uh, I am, we are, I've got, um, Randy Ketchot and, uh, Ronnie Dukas sitting here with me and we're at the campfire. We are smoking cigars, drinking whiskey. We just ate steaks and potatoes, which is about the 11th day in a row that I've eaten a steak at the camp. And, um, we're just trying to kill deer, man. Just on the same, the same regimen. From when you and Colin were here, and it's uh, it's only gotten better. It's well, that's pretty good. I'm I'm glad to hear that for your sake, because I got to be honest with you, man. I I just basically I I did some holiday stuff, New Year stuff with my family, and I took my uh, my my immediate family, my wife and kids. We went down to New Orleans for the Sugar Bowl on New Year's Day, and I thought cool. when we come back from the Sugar Bowl, New Year's night. You know, the weather's going to start getting cool on Sunday. I'm going to have some free time starting up. But I, I'm starting a new job, which actually gives me more freedom, ironically. Um, and I hunted Sunday afternoon and Monday, and I was just done. I just, like, I, my hunting has not been good. I don't, I haven't seen much for deer uh, the end of last week or the beginning of this week. And, Yesterday and today, I just was like, man, I'm not, not. I, maybe when I get back from this trip to the ATA, maybe maybe I'll uh, go somewhere else or maybe some camera activity or some scouting I can do when I get back or maybe give me some more motivation or reason. But right now, man, it's the part of um, where I'm at in East Feliciana, it is slow, slow, slow. And I don't know if it's, there's always a peak and valley sort of, kind of uh if you were to graph it uh sort of trajectory with the rut it comes and goes it's never um to me at least what what i've experienced in my time in this area which is not a long time i've lived here for eight years i've really hunted around here a lot probably the last five or six it's always seems like it's just one or two days and then it tails off and it comes back it tails off and comes back so i don't know i i'm cautiously optimistic that middle of january uh may get some more activity especially if the weather gets good again but i hadn't had much to talk about to be honest with you gotcha well i got 
I got a good story for you if you yeah. want to hear it. Go for it. So, um, I've been, uh, I've got this area that I've been, you could say, saving all season. Um, I killed a really good buck off of it last year, hunting from the ground. <clears throat> and then uh, I know it's got good deer on it, but I, I didn't want to go in and booger it up until it was rut. And so I've been running cameras on it for a while, honestly, since the beginning of October. And what was odd was it's one of the few places I've ever seen where there was like October 1st, there was community scrapes. And those scrapes stayed active almost all season so far. And um, I went and hunted it two or three times last week. And then on Saturday, um, we had the series of south winds, and it was forcing me to hunt. <clears throat> the north side of the thicket thicket runs east to west along the slough there's no water in the slough because it's been so dry and um i uh i've been hunting the north side of it on south wind not really where i wanted to be so the, the story starts off with i was near the x but not on the x and i was near the x for two hunts and after the the second hunt I climbed down and moved what happened was I was seeing deer but they were all about 75 yards to my left to the east and um it was about 11 o'clock on I think it was Friday it was last Friday 11 o'clock in the morning hadn't seen much saw some I saw two deer at first light and then it was pretty much dead all day and 11 o'clock I saw a really good buck about 75 75 80 yards to my left and so I get my grunt call out I'm like you know, practically it's windy, so I'm playing the flute to it pretty much, trying to get his attention. Get this buck, um, looking at him through my binoculars, and as I'm grunting at him, I see a set of antlers in between me and that buck enter my field of view on my binoculars, um, running at me. And it's a smaller buck, it's still a good shooter, eight point, and um, he's coming over to kick my ass pretty much he's pissed off running right at me because i'm just like blowing this he doesn't even sound like a grunt call anymore and uh, i'm blowing it so hard so he comes in about 40 yards and then the wind's kind of quartering towards the deer he gets in my wind and then um uh, throws his head up a couple times and does that real cautious where they high step and turn and take off type of thing and then um the other buck sees him and they both run off so right after that happens so like 1120 at this point in time, I climb down, I move my stand 80 yards over there, and I'm planning on going back to camp, making uh, lunch, coming back. And at 1120, after I'm done setting up, one of my cameras goes off, and it's a different, totally different buck than those ones, and it's about 200 yards away. And I'm like, well, I guess I'll just sit all day because I had enough to eat for lunch. So I sat all day. Um, I had two does come out that evening and not much action after that. Next day I go back and nothing happens all morning. No, I didn't spook anything out. My cameras are dead. I didn't see anything on sand, nothing. But I said, you know, I'm going to stick it out for the midday action. So um, I, I uh, this is kind of weird, but I talk on the phone a lot on stand. Um, I'll just talk quiet. Lots of people I'm on the phone with know that I'm deer hunting, but I don't have any problems talking on the phone while i'm on stand it usually doesn't affect much especially if, if you're close enough to, to hear me talk on the phone i probably could have shot you by then anyway and um this is at 12 40 the next day hadn't seen a deer all day 
and I'm on the phone with my business partner. I said, hey, Mark, I got to go by. Hang up. And there's a buck that somehow he had scooted by where my stand used to be, and he was about 100 yards from me through the trees, and I could see him walking away from me, almost straight away from me, crossing this big slough that's dry. And that morning, I had decided, um, this as a side note, I've kind of noticed that if you grunt at a deer in the open, he typically won't come in close enough to shoot if he can see where he thinks the sound came from. And I've had that happen a lot of times to me. And, um, and so I, it, a lot of times I won't grunt at a deer if he can stop, look at my direction, not see a deer, and then keep moving. He'll just be real skeptical. So on those days, if I'm going to grunt something in, they need to be able to put their eyes on some other deer or deer-shaped thing to want to come in and check it out. So I brought Montana decoy doe with me, um, the one, uh, one of the ones I brought to Oklahoma. And um, – what I'll do is I'll kind of, I don't say hide it, but I'll, I'll put it in a bedded down position where it's not standing up real tall. It's real low to the ground, but it's also kind of in some brush behind some leaves or in a thicket to where a deer can't see like real clear. I'm not putting it out in front of me like you would in a field in Iowa or Illinois. Like I, if I'm going to grunt at you, I want you to see that decoy and then come into it. So this buck's walking away and I've got my decoy at the base of the tree um, a little bit behind me. And I'm like, you know what? I look at the wind, or check the wind, and it's in my favor. I'm like, I'm going after him. Literally, and that's what I said out loud. I'm like, actually, verbatim what I said was, F no, I'm going after you. It was actually what I said out loud to myself. I take my arrow out of the quiver, I mean, out of the rest, throw it in the quiver, lower my bow down, climb out of the tree, grab the decoy, and start walking towards this deer with the decoy just in front of me. Now, I'm not trying to, like, hide behind it or crouch down or anything. I'm just trying to essentially use this decoy to cover the noise and movement that I'm making to where as he's looking at me through the trees from 100 yards, he sees the flash of a decoy, right, of, of a deer. Right. So he – I haven't told you this story yet. No. We hadn't really talked about this. Nope. Um, so he sees me, turns, comes right back to me. I've got my binoculars. I'm looking at him. He's walking straight towards me, and then he'd quarter. Straight towards me, and he'd quarter. But he's real slowly kind of like high-stepping. You know how a big buck will like – they can walk through – they can damn near walk through a pile of leaves and not make a, a sound. Mm-hmm. And he's real slowly high-stepping towards me. And um, I had stopped behind Palmetto Bush. And when I saw he was coming towards me, I laid the decoy down. And I was just kind of crouched down behind this Palmetto Bush. And I'm trying to anticipate how close he'll be when I'm ready to shoot him. So I'm like on the dial of my HHA. I'm turning it back and forth from 20 to 30 yards 20 to 30 yards and i'm like rationalizing both of them this deer is walking at me and finally i was like you know what i'm gonna shoot him at 30 yards so i put it on 30 he starts quartering again comes out behind the palmetto bush and i shoot him from the ground 30 yards shot him behind the shoulder but since i was kind of knelt down shooting slightly up on him i spined him and by the way shot him with a grim reaper um, mm-hmm. I switched. This is my first, not my first time, but my first deer with the Grin Reaper, uh, the two inch white tail special. 
find him. He dropped in his tracks, but he wasn't dead. And then the problem was my bag's in the tree. I don't have my knife on me or anything. I wasn't anticipating this, right? So um, he's flopping around. So I, I load another arrow and I shoot him again, but I didn't really get into you know the lungs or anything super lethal. He would have bled out from both of them, but I was trying to kill him more quickly. So go up to him. Hold him by the antlers, pull out the arrow, launch it, uh, uh, put it in the bow again, and shoot him at five feet, and um, and uh, he died in a couple seconds. Pretty, you know, double lunging right there. But um, he's a drop tine with, and I'm trademarking this, an up tine. Uh, he's got a kicker in front of his brow. And um, he's an 11 point. He's got six on the right, five on the left. Both the kicker and the brow tine are at the bases of his right. And Ronnie scored him twice. The first time he scored him 122, <laughs> to which uh, I was like, okay, uh, but I don't think that's right. And he was like, yeah, I think I might have missed the measurement. And he scored him again the next day, and he came when I got back from my hunt. And he's like, "Yeah, it turns out I forgot to log the the main beam. Uh, he's actually one forty three and three quarters." Yeah. So he's my personal best. Finally got in, broke into the one forties, and did it on a what I think is a badass story. And after um, our conversation last week about taxidermy, I decided to compromise, and I skull mounted it. <laughs> I didn't cut his skull plate off, but we did boil him and, and Ronnie power washed him today. And, and he's, he's done. He's, he's cool deer, man. Yeah. You, I'm pretty excited about it. You sent me a picture, but we, we haven't had any kind of lengthy conversation where I've heard any kind of the story. I just, you just sent me a picture and it is really cool deer. It's, um, I, I, those are my favorite kind. And I, I, I don't know if I've ever said this, if it's ever been <clears throat> brought up in any way on the podcast, but, like, my take on it when it comes to deer like that is when you kill a deer like that that's got so much unique character, it's by all, you know, you might as well just assume that it's 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 a one-of-a-kind. At least for you, it's a one-of-a-kind. You know, you, you kill 140... Yeah kill 143 inch eight point nine point ten point typical frame and if you hunt enough chances are you get another shot at a similar rack but those unique deer i'm I'm always kind of a sucker for them because i don't know i just have this in my mind like that's a that's a one of a kind it's he's he's the coolest deer i've ever killed i didn't think he was the biggest for a while because he's only he's only 16 inch uh spread but he's got six inch bases on one side and six and a quarter on the other. And he's got the most mass of any deer I've ever killed. Um, plus the kickers and, and drop, you know, drop time. He's, just, he's a cool, just a cool buck, man. And I'm, I'm pumped about it because it's a good story. I probably should have mounted it to be honest. Probably should have, but I just, when I start cleaning a deer, I caping one out is like the last thing of, in, in my mind. Yeah. Um, but uh, yeah, I'm pretty pumped about it. Shooting them from the ground is—it's, dude. It's like it, it, it must be what heroin feels like. I would imagine mm. it's got to be 
what super hard drugs is like. I would imagine <laughs> because it's it's man, it's yeah. addictive. I've shot I've shot deer from the ground out of a ground blind, but not like that. Uh, not yeah. with a bow, anyway. I've stalked a deer with a gun like that, similar to that. It, shot it. It was just but. it was one of those game time decisions where I was like. He's walking away. The wind's blowing hard. It's in my favor. I've got the decoy. I, like This is like 0.5 seconds of contemplation, and it's just like, we're doing this. Go. And I mean, what happens if it, if it doesn't work? He just runs off. He's already leaving anyway, you know? Yeah. Um, and so that was, uh, that was the coolest. That was one, one of the coolest, if not the coolest, deer kill stories that I've, I've ever <laughs> had and um it's just a cool buck man i'm pretty pumped about him you know one one thing that um comes to mind when um you just 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 the things that you just said really just talking about the decision making process and the the uh the decision to go for it kind of thing and like everybody knows that listens to this very much i'm you know big into turkey hunting and and for the most part i mean there's obviously lots of ways you can hunt a turkey but the common popular way to hunt a turkey is is basically kind of like what you did with the deer. Is, reaping. Is, uh, reaping? Yeah, well, not so much creeping and reaping, but just this the strategic stalking and getting set up in a place where you can get a shot at the turkey, not just sitting still waiting on a turkey to walk by you. I mean, yeah, yeah I mean, there's, there's the whole aspect of crawling them and reaping them and all that kind of stuff, and that's, that's kind of a whole other thing, but... You know, just simply hearing a turkey, locating a turkey. I mean, in, in the turkey world, you're hearing the bird, and you're you're trying to locate him and get in range of him and get set up in the right place where you can call to the turkey. In your case, you're getting the deer's attention with a decoy. You may even do that with a, with a turkey, and you're getting hidden and intercepting him somehow. There's more of a strategic type of, yeah. of hunt yeah, in yeah. that way in that most people – uh, that's their goal. They're not just going to go sit in a place and wait on a turkey to walk by the way we do deer hunting. Some people do that, but that's not your you know, your common. That's not what makes turkey hunting popular. Um, one of the things that I find that it it, it kind of it's an interesting um, parallel here. Uh, people that kill a lot of turkeys. So the the thing about turkey hunting is that they can see so well. And they're so wary and they're so unpredictable that it sometimes it's really hard when you're in their immediate vicinity to feel comfortable doing a whole lot because they can pick you off so easily. And there's no there's no undo button with a turkey. As soon as he's spooked, that's it. You know, that's it. And but a lot the people yeah. that kill a lot of turkeys, they do like what you what you're talking about. Um and it's kind of one of those things where you have to have that mentality, just kind of paralleling it to this to the deer hunt strategy that way. What do you have to lose, right? Yeah. I mean, and and sometimes you know calculated risk can really really pay off. And you know that's the, like you know paralleling like with turkey hunters, people that kill a lot of turkeys, they take a little bit of risk. You know, I mean, they're not going to kill the turkey where they're at. They well, got to make a move, right? If this is what turkey hunting is like, I do not need to start turkey well, hunting. Well, you just said it's a lot like, it must be like what cocaine is or heroin or heroin. whatever you said. I was thinking, yeah. no, nah, it's probably a whole lot like shooting a turkey in the face at 15 yards. <laughs> it's, probably what, yeah. it's probably what it's more like. <laughs> but yeah. but anyway, but yeah, no, that's cool. I mean, I, I think we all get stuck in our, um, you know, like these preconceived notions and, and, and habits that we have. 
and and we just we don't think outside the box, and we probably could be more successful. I mean, kudos to you for going that route because to your point, you weren't going to kill him anyway. He was leaving, you know. Yeah. And, and not only that, but you're, you're you're hunting public ground. It's not like this is your deer, and you know where he's fixing to go over there in bed, and you just come hunting the next day. He, it, there's no telling. This is public ground, right? Yeah, he um, he um, he was he was he had already walked out of my life. He was gone. He was he was damn near getting close to being out of rifle range by the time I saw him. Yeah. Um. And uh, you know, I just I don't even want to say I didn't think about it. It was a very quick decision making of let's do this now or don't do it, you know? Yeah. And it just, it just happened, man. Uh, it's, well, I mean, there, if you, it's one of those things where if, if this was the plan all along, like if I like was sitting at a bonfire right now, telling my buddies like, Hey, tomorrow I'm going to see it here at a distance. And I'm going to get close to it with the decoy. And then I'm going to hide behind a bush and shoot. I'd sound like an idiot, you know, like, but you like, know what? No way that would work. The way I think about that too, though, is if it was your plan, you probably would have overthought something, and it wouldn't oh, have worked out. Absolutely, you would have absolutely. overthought something, and you would have did something a little bit different than what you actually did. You know, probably. Yeah, that's how things work for me normally. Yeah, but, but that so, that's it. That's my cool story for the a, season. It is a very cool story. It's a very cool story. Now you got to go back to work. Uh, Eventually, not really. <laughs> Yeah, I actually probably should give it. So we're going to. Uh, this is the coolest, coolest time of the year for a whole lot of people. Um, I know I, people that I talk to, people in my close circle. Um, we're talking to our good friend and returner to the podcast, Levi Madden. Our guests every week are brought to you by our friend Brian Chamberlain, the Chamberlain Lending Team with Movement Mortgage. And if you're in need of a residential loan, primary or secondary vacation investment, cash out, rate reduction, renovation for add-ons, any of these kind of needs, contact Brian. Nobody does better. Low credit scores, potentially 0% down, and the movement mortgage, 42% of their profits go towards charitable organizations through the Movement Foundation, and that sets them apart. Brian is licensed in Texas, Louisiana, and Mississippi, NMLS number 114586, and Movement Mortgage is an equal housing opportunity lender, NMLS ID number 39179. Is with us. What's up, Levi? What's up, boys? How are y'all? I would I, I would say that um, Levi's kind of been here the whole time, but we had to mute him because we don't ever know what he's going to say, and we wanted to make sure Kyler got his uh, – got a story in so well what i'm not gonna top that story so well so what should have saved him for last what i was what i was alluding to uh when when i entered when when i introduced you um and one of the reasons that that um i thought about having you join us for this podcast is because you're a guy that has a tradition of a rutcation style of holiday time away and spend a lot of time hunting. And usually that corresponds with a great time to hunt where you hunt on your property, and you've had some success. But it's just a awesome time of the year for people. Everybody I talk to, everybody loves hunting around the holidays in the south. And we're kind of on the tail end, even though I thought this was the second weekend or the second week of January because my calendar's all messed up. But we're at the tail end of that, you know, with ending the first week and all. But it's been good for you, right? Been another good rutcation into the year holidays 
Yes, surprisingly, you know, I was talking to a little little bit to y'all while I was over there hunting with the weather as bad as it was, but me and Kyle were both were talking about it, and I was like, I did not see a lag in deer movement or numbers whatsoever. It was probably the best week that I've had this year as far as deer numbers seen, mature bucks seen, and all that, so and that's really, really good. And that's crazy because what you're saying has been echoed across the community, across Everywhere. social media, everybody in the South, across social media, Mississippi, Louisiana, both. Um, you know, it. You we went into the week of Christmas, and I, I think most people would be lying if they didn't admit to the fact that when they pulled up the forecast, the the, the week before. Because, uh, you know, the week of Christmas is often a holiday time where people take off and they look forward to hunting and the rut should be getting really good. Never, you, you'd have to convince me you're not lying if you said you pulled your phone up on Thursday or Friday the week before the week of Christmas and you didn't just go, oh, my gosh. <laughs> Are you freaking serious? Is it really – Is could it really be this bad? And yet, I, I, I mean, in some ways, just – I can't say that I personally experienced, even though I did kill the deer the week of Christmas. Uh, but I killed the deer on the last day of cool weather we had before the uh, before the heat wave hit. So I, I'm not exactly applicable to what I'm saying, but it, it's amazing to me because I I just I I just kept pulling up my phone and I kept getting messages from people and looking on social media and it was just deer after deer, trail cam picked after trail cam picked, reports after reports. They didn't miss a lick, man. They had to, I guess they had to carry carry around a lot of bottled water with them or something to keep from dehydrating. It was 78 degrees when I shot my buck. It was 78 crazy, degrees that man. day. It was not during a cold front at all. Just yep. crazy. I, I, I did, I, get, I, I can jump into the, uh, jump into the party in that I finally, bro, I, 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 I kind of like stuck to my guns and I'm, I'm kind of a, hardhead about when I hunt and how I hunt and I don't hunt very much at all and you know if I'm invited to go with somebody and I'm going to experience a, a hunt somewhere else or spend time with a friend or something like that's one thing but just hunting my spots you know where I got can kind of come and go whenever I don't go into those spots until I want to go the right days um and I stuck it out for a long time going I'm just not hunting in this I'm not going into these spots and hunting in this. And I set it out and I set it out. And when I finally did, I saw two bucks chasing a doe, grunting and tearing it up, 75 degrees. <laughs> <laughs> you know, I mean, I didn't have that consistent. Crazy. I didn't have the consistent yeah. success that you guys have. I, 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 and I didn't hunt as much as y'all did. But um, I did see some of it. And it's just it's crazy to me. So I'm, I'm curious. You, you mentioned that um, you had a great week that, you know, you really didn't see a fall off. Is uh, and you hunt in uh, along the river, uh, your area too, or is it area two mm-hmm. that you're in? That part of the state. I mean, is it is everything? I mean, obviously the weather was different. Everything else, timing wise, what it, what what's been your experience with the rut this year? Um, the timing of the rut was pretty much right on key. Normally, best. It really gets cranked up around the 15th of December and right on through Christmas most of the time. And it it was intense. I mean, I saw 
I saw five or six different bucks snort wheeze within like a four or five day period. Most of them being at least three years old or older. Um, it was, it was insane. Actually, it was. I probably had a better rut this year than I had than I did last year. Hmm. Even though I didn't kill as good a quality deer this year, but it was, it was really, really good. Do you feel like, um, you feel like you're going to have like that second wave? Yes. And that's one thing about our property too. I mean, we, we really go down to the, to January 31st, still seeing bucks chasing does over there. So, um, I really wish I could have been over there hunting beginning this week, obviously. Uh, Mm -hmm. Our neighbor killed a pretty nice deer over there. I guess it was Monday or Tuesday. So, and they, I I would say they're kind of getting, right now, they're somewhat, I guess you want to call it lockdown phase. I I started seeing that the last three days I hunted, you know. On our property, it's kind of, and maybe a lot of guys can speak for this that hunt private land, you start seeing a lot of smaller bucks out just kind of roaming around in random places. Uh-huh. Um, and no does, just all, you know, spike, six point, four point, just kind of roaming around browsing and not really, doesn't look like they're chasing or looking for does. They're just kind of, it, it seems like most of the does are kind of bedded up pretty tight. And that's kind of where we were getting at. So, yeah. Um, yeah, I agree with that. That's that's the same exact thing I'm seeing. In fact, tonight, this afternoon, um, I got my first photo, uh, a cell cam picture sent to me of two does with back with two fawns on one place huh. that I've got them. Um, yeah. And so I don't, I'm I'm not real in tune on how quickly they get back into their little doe group like that. But, um, mm-hmm. I mean, I know this is an area that's been rutting pretty hard, and this is a place where um, you'd see uh, cell cam pictures of just like a fawn standing there by herself or itself mm-hmm. um, for the last two weeks. It would you just get a random fawn, and now they're back into you know two mature does or, or uh, maybe a one and a half, two and a half year old doe and a mature doe, and then and then this evening starting to see them back with uh, yearlings again. Yeah, um, mm-hmm. so I actually. This evening, I got a picture of two does together on my cell camera right right after, right before dark. I can't remember, but so, same thing. I'm I'm in East Feliciana Parish, and from what I've gathered over the years of being here, this place is apparently, or at least parts of it anyway, and that's Area 4. This place is uh, kind of uh, known for having a very unpredictable and sporadic rut cycle and i can attest to that because every year since i've had property here i've had different peaks and valleys of the rut i alluded to that earlier but i've all i've had it you know spike up the week after thanksgiving around christmas and then again late in the season um in late january but i saw something monday to y'all's points about the does this really this is kind of really interesting i hunted monday super cold great day to hunt and I saw a lot of deer, but I saw what I can, what I would say is like the best analogy or the best, um, uh, every phase of what we're talking about. So I saw a yearling 
by itself just roaming around that, if you made me guess, was obviously not used to not being with its mom. You know, it was back and forth aimlessly all over the place. That was early on, really before the sun really, really got up, early on. So it roams around aimlessly, and this is a spot that I see a lot of does and yearlings throughout the year, and I I don't ever see yearlings by themselves. And, and, and so I feel pretty confident in saying this is a yearling whose mom's off with a buck somewhere, you know, in estrus. So that happens 7 o'clock, let's say 7 o'clock, something like that, early before the sun's real high. About 30 or 45 minutes later, from my northeast, a mature doe comes out of a thick area that the deer oftentimes come from, uh, call it a bedding area. And I don't know how to best describe it, but the way she was moving, I stood up and grabbed my bow because I just was confident there was a buck coming behind her, following her. She was twitching her tail. She was, you know, just had that walk about her. And as as it all played out, she walked right on past me. She cut across the flat I was hunting, and she was gone. Nothing happened. My, what I assume happened is she had been locked down with a buck in that thicket. There's very little doubt in my mind that she had been. And she came out, and he didn't. So then, fast forward an hour, and I see a group, two adult does with two yearlings come through. So I basically saw all three things that that you kind of see in the whole doe-yearling relationship thing. If you're using does and yearlings to try to figure out where they're at in their estrus cycle, I saw all three things in a three-hour period. So how in the hell am I supposed to know what's going on? Hmm. You know what I mean? I mean, imagine being a buck trying to figure it out. Hey, if you're looking for a new piece of hunting property or you have a piece of property you'd like to list for sale, contact our friend Slade Priest, the hunting land man. Slade's a Realtree United Country land pro, and he's more than just a real estate agent. Slade has spent his entire life in the outdoors managing property, hunting, fishing, and he really prides himself on understanding putting the right buyer and the right seller together when it comes to outdoor recreational hunting property. And Slade was recently ranked number two in the, in the country for, for 2020, uh, Southern States Realty United Country Hunting Properties. So if you are in the market, no one sells more, Mississippi and Louisiana, and it's not too late to potentially get into a new piece of property even for this hunting season. Uh, Slade tells me you can get to closing pretty quickly, and he's got some fantastic properties recently listed and more coming all the time. So search the hashtag HuntingLandMan, and you'll find all kind of stuff. Slade's got a podcast where you can get all kind of information on land and uh, the buying selling process. So check him out and Go find all of his listings at huntinglandmanms.com. Mm. You know, that's, that's why they're all can, running around idiots. Yeah, <laughs> I was going to say, that's, if I were a buck in my area, I would be dead because I would just be up all over. Just I'd be just trying to check all of them, I guess. Just trying to hope yeah. I finally found an eligible bachelorette, I guess. Yeah. But they're not doing that. I can. <laughs> they're not doing that. That's what I would be doing. But if I was a turkey, I'd be dead too because I'd just gobble all the time just to hear myself. Hey, Levi, I've got a question for you. So mm-hmm. the, the Mississippi River is pr- pretty low this year, probably the lowest it's been in the last 
two or three years. Yep. Yep. Do you think that has any impact on your property, even though you're outside the levee over there? Uh, yeah, it has a very positive impact if it'll stay low and not flood Davis Island. <laughs> I hope it yeah. doesn't. Uh, I think I, I checked it last week. Uh, it was at 20 feet at Vicksburg, so it's looking good so far anyways. Yeah. So. You, you had told – you had told me in the past that even though it sounds – I think most people listening and most people that you would say this to would think that it would be a good thing if the river floods because you'd have mm-hmm. more deer on your place. But you brought up a good point to me last time I was at your camp and that the bad thing because they, they're kind of like they're kind of like bad party guests. They come, they drink all your beer, they don't help you clean up, and then they leave. And then exactly. um, they, they eat all the food for your deer. And then um, one, so you, your herd doesn't have a lot to eat anymore. And then um, I asked you, I was like, what, can you tell – What I asked you if you can tell a river deer from your deer. What did you, how, how do you tell them apart from your herd? Um, typically the does, the groups of deer that come across, especially the does will be grouped up in really, really big groups. And you'll just see them in a lot of random places like walking down roads in the middle of the daytime, like just stuff you don't really see during, you know, when it's not flooded. Um, Mm -hmm. Bucks too, you'll see them all out in food pots at weird times of the day. And, you know, when I say that, you know, they come on our property and eat everything, a lot of people hear that and they're like, oh, there's no way that. And I'm like, no, you don't really understand. You can sit in on a big food pot and I'm not exaggerating. You can see a hundred deer in an afternoon. It's, mm. it's unlike anything you've ever seen in your life. It's absolutely insane. And you can only imagine you're sitting over there looking at a three to five acre food pot and you can only imagine what the rest of the property looks like. Cause that's not all of them. So. Yeah. I've seen it. Not, I'm not seen it. Um, often, Growing up on a river town in Mississippi and having family right there on the river uh, property and stuff, I've seen it where they're just laying out in in the backyard mm-hmm. all day, you know. And it's yeah, it, it's 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 one of those kind of things where it's cool to see it once, but if you have property and you give a crap what people do, because obviously people take advantage of the situation, and um, yeah. if you have property close to the river. Um, and people around you are just really taking advantage of the situation, then you have an uh, age structure problem for several years to come because of all of the deer that get shot and killed when they're bunched up. So the river's been bad to um, all the states that are affected by it for so many years. I'm I'm really glad that we're finally having a, you know, our, our, uh, all of those areas are getting a break and having a good normal fall and yep. winter year at least so far yeah and I'm, i do enough if i remember right in louisiana they did you know a couple of years ago they actually tried to close the season yeah uh, and if i remember right they kind of implemented like a a barrier for the deer when they come across the river you know you can't be sitting because you know they had people sitting up on the levee just shooting them as they come out of the water which is absolutely ridiculous mm-hmm. but uh 
they implemented some kind of barrier for them. I can't remember. It's a yardage amount, maybe like 500 yards or something like that, which is pretty good, I guess. Yeah. So I've heard some horror stories. I mean, yeah, some absolute horror stories. People that, you know, property right on the bluff, right around the levees where, you know, that first entry point for them to get out of the bottoms that are flooded mm-hmm. and just day after day after day, just an onslaught. And, you mm-hmm. know, if you've ever hunted around flooded areas, you know that, the deer get pushed, but then they quickly stay. They 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 just keep going back. They keep they keep trying to go back, so they stay with the water or close yep. to it. And so you can find them day after day after day. It's mm-hmm. pretty rough, but um. So you you alluded to the fact that you had some success, maybe not quite the quality, but you had a pretty special year last year. So you can't exactly um, compare. You know, I mean, you're not going to have a lot of years like you had last year, no matter what. But tell nope. us a story or two about, I know you killed a couple bucks. Tell us a story or two. Um, the Probably the coolest story was probably the last one I killed. Um, I was actually hunting in there where I took both of you in the same area. It's a little area called the Palmetto Ridge. There's a big flooded slough running up in between two very faint ridges up in our big woods back there. And uh, I was actually, Locke, you would know exactly where I was. I was in that split cypress tree that I was in when I was back there filming you. Yeah. And uh, that big eight point that I was hoping one of y'all would kill, I saw him in there, Um, gosh, I think it was about a week before this hunt. And... I actually saw him stand up out of his bed. He was probably 100 to 150 yards back to the east, which if the direction me and you were facing, that would have been to the left over there where it was kind of thick, mm-hmm. kind of where your buck ran. Mm-hmm. Um, and so I kind of waited for another wind to go in there and hunt him. Well, I went in there, and I actually saw that buck I killed it wasn't right in the exact same spot, but I saw one just kind of appear out of nowhere. I saw the top of his rack stand up, and it was kind of just a, a split second. I saw it stand up, and it kind of disappeared, and I was like, well, that's probably him. Uh, he stood up about 4 o'clock and went south down down in that thick, you know, grown-up stuff that I, I couldn't see him. He just basically disappeared, and... Uh, Anyways, it was probably about 4.45. There was a doe that had been down south of me blowing. And if I had to bet, there was probably a bear down there. And she was down there blowing three or four times. And I was like, well, this hunt's over. The deer's walked away from me. I'm not going to see him. So um, anyway, she came up from the south. It, it was the same doe because she kind of trotted up the slough real slow and you know, looking around and nervous acting. And she walked literally right underneath me. And what made her do it, I wasn't moving or anything. She looked straight up at me and saw me kind of silhouetted up against the skyline and sat there and blew at me. She hopped off and blew four or five more times, just kind of, she didn't ever run off. It was kind of weird. She sat there and blew and just kind of walked around, you know, 30 or 40 yards from me right there. And I look up, and sure enough, that buck had come out down there probably 150 to 200 yards south of me. 
and he came right on a string at 10 yards and I shot him right there, right where she was standing, sitting there blowing. It was the just you know, the craziest thing I've ever done. Yeah, but look, <laughs> you know, go ahead, Kyle. He came, in, he came into her blowing. I mean, I he came into her. You know, I guess he saw her walking up, and she was sitting there blowing. And I don't know. I like I texted you, Kyle. I was like, I guess he just wanted to die. I don't know what was going on. Look. But, I can tell you a really crazy. cool story. So that I would have not thought this would have come up. I really didn't thought anything about it until until you just told that story. Um, mm-hmm. So I told y'all I hunted one time when it was hot. I hunted a couple times when it was hot. But one of the hunts I made when it was hot, I saw the bucks uh, chasing the doe, right? So I'm sitting there at 5 o'clock, and I hear it. I can hear a deer kind of trotting. And I can hear a deer behind it at probably 200 yards grunting. And sure enough, the doe comes trotting past me. The wind is blowing completely the opposite direction, so nothing smells me or anything. The doe trots right past me, and there is two bucks behind it. They're about 100 yards behind and just grunting every step. And they come all the way by me. It's a small rack, eight point, and a spike. And they're both grunting, and they come by. Well, when they got past me, about a hundred yards, she started blowing at them, and I've I've seen those do that before. When they, when, I guess, yep. when they don't want to be bred, or I don't know yep. what they're doing, but they'll blow, and the bucks will just keep chasing them. And I've, I have seen that too. And I so will say that I'm in I'm in a little hardwood flat that's butted up to some like six or seven year old pines, and they chased her in and out of the from the hardwoods to the pines behind me. And she blew and blew. And, I mean, I could hear her blowing like, you know, I mean, she would go from almost 180 degrees from behind me to my right to behind me to my left, blowing. And and I could hear them grunting and chasing her. It was kind (laughs) of cool. Well, that went on for like five minutes, and she got directly to my right, which was to my east. And she was about 150 yards, and I could hear her blowing, and I could still hear one of the deer grunting. And another eight-point comes running from my directly to my left and runs right past me and runs right over there to her and she's been blowing for five minutes <laughs> but it's like i mean I, I, obviously i knew what was going on i could hear the deer grunting i could tell it wasn't the same that's the other thing i would say about it. i don't the, probably different from your situation she was blowing but if you really listen to it it wasn't really the same as the doe that's blowing at mm-hmm. you like yeah. she's blowing and I guess just casually, it kind of sounds the same. But when you really paid attention to it, it sounded a little bit different. Yeah. You know, and, but yeah, like to your point, I mean, this buck that uh, that came by me, and he was like a three-year-old eight-point. He was, you know, a, a, a much older, not not the three is old necessarily, but the ones that were chasing her were, were young bucks. Mm-hmm. He was a decent buck. I mean, he's a deer that I've been passing up, hoping, you know, for him to be a shooter next year. And he came straight to her. So, mm-hmm. I, I think they know. I mean, I I think they they kind of realize that you ever thought about, like, you're not in the woods a lot, right? Mm-hmm. Like, deer blow at lots of stuff. Oh, yeah. Yep. You know, what's our perception of, of that? I mean, I, I know we think when a doe blows, everything's blown. But, I mean, for all we know, there's a buck laying over there and, He's thinking, 
she's blowing at a coyote, and an hour later, he's just going to go on about his way anyway. Mm-hmm. You know? I've, I've, I've seen them over there on our property blowing at bears before. You know, you see the bear, she throws a fit for, you know, a few minutes, blows, and kind of hops off out there 100 yards and basically just kind of just meanders off. So yeah, I, I definitely agree with that point. Uh, interesting. Yeah. So Levi, you you how many bucks have you killed so far this season? Uh, three, three bucks. Really? I thought it was two. No, I killed three. another one. Uh, actually, in the uh, in the rain or in the light rain. Mm-hmm. Um, probably I don't even remember what the date was. Maybe the twenty third or the twenty second, maybe somewhere in there. So, um. We, we had a – I was really worried about this year. I saw a deer die VHD this summer, and we uh, – some duck hunters were over there at our place, and they actually found a, another buck not too long ago out in a little place that floods out one of those CRP fields, and all the bones were still there. You know, it didn't look like anything had really touched it, so – I kind of suspect he probably died from it too. And, you know, if you're seeing, if you saw a deer die VHD with your own two eyes and then you go out there, you can only imagine how many are actually dying. Uh, I had two bucks last year that I was letting walk, and Locke will probably remember one of them. Locke, do you remember that really nice nine point we saw mm-hmm. back there by that rice field? Yep. Um, he he was gone i don't know what happened to him he was gone and that 10 point that was with him both mm-hmm. of them don't know what happened to him didn't haven't had a picture of them all year so i actually hit it actually crossed my mind i don't know you and i were talking just about deer and, and stuff just texting one day and it i actually kind of meant to ask about that deer because we saw mm-hmm. him a couple of times uh, mm-hmm. one of the times I was there with you and we, we actually got to look at him pretty good. He walked down that levee one time and mm-hmm. and we talked about him a good bit and I actually was wondering, you know, because he was really nice as a, as a younger deer last year and had a lot of potential and I, I kind of actually kind of in my mind had been meaning to ask. I hate to hear that. Yeah, I think we lost him. I'll tell you another story too. You remember that, you remember that real nice nine point you filmed back there the first morning you hunted? Yeah. Um, our neighbor had him again this year and he was, he was a little bit bigger, heavier. And, uh, <laughs> our other neighbors beside, well, we all three kind of corner back there together. Um, neighbor that hunts directly behind us, they strictly bow hunt. And, uh, he'd been, he'd kind of put that deer on the don't shoot list. They'd been watching him all year. And, uh, the other neighbors beside us. The guy sent him, sent the rifle hunter, sent him a picture of the deer and was like, hey, please don't shoot this deer. We've been letting this deer walk all year. And lo and behold, <laughs> they shot him that morning. Yeah. And uh, he was he was a really, really nice deer, probably. Um, I don't even know if they scored him, but I was he was probably a four-year-old, probably scored in the 140s, probably, I'm guessing. Maybe, maybe high one thirties. Yeah, that sucks. He was a really nice yep. deer. Yep. Yeah. Well, part of it, you know, yeah. we don't, 
they're free range animals, so it's not like, you know, yeah, somebody else shoots him. It's trophies in the eye of the beholder. So, yeah, well, I, I, uh, I, I, I got to personally watch that deer at ten steps mm-hmm. multiple times that morning. And it's not hard for me to imagine how there's plenty of people out there that <laughs> <laughs> most places I would have shot him, <laughs> so, yeah, yeah. you know, yeah. but yeah, yeah, to your point, it doesn't matter. I mean, neighbors are neighbors, no matter how, yeah. <laughs> you know, people are going everybody, always... and, you're, and you're right. I mean, it's, it's, it's in the eye of the beholder. It's, it's mm-hmm. just what it is. Yep. I, I'm kind of curious. Yeah, you know, you're you uh you obviously are you know you you guys are have a lot of experience and done a lot with management, so it's something that you study and keep up with a lot and mm-hmm. and I know you have a lot of opinions about it and stuff like that and you know, trying to come from you guys have you know, obviously you have really good habitat and you and you mm-hmm. have an ability with, with good neighbors for the most part. Yep. Mm-hmm. To, to, to handle a lot of things and kind of keep a consistent structure in place. Um, you know, okay, what, what are, that, that doesn't exist everywhere. It and, doesn't. And, and it's what are your, in a good spot. What, what are your opinions, not just about the quality of deer? That's really not what I'm getting at. I mean, I don't, mm-hmm. I, in, in terms of what I'm asking, it doesn't matter whether your trophy is just anything with, you know, with eight points or whether your trophy is, is, five or older but just generally speaking do you feel like the the predictability that you guys that i mean that's a kind of a luxury that you have along with having good habitat and good deer numbers and ability mm-hmm. to manage with your neighbors one of the luxuries is you have a lot of predictability and and i think a lot of it is because you're in an area with a lot of private landowners that have like-mindedness and good habitat sure. and all that kind of stuff do you think mm-hmm. that I mean, do you think the unpredictability of the rut in many other parts of the state has to do with the just generally the kind of scattered inconsistency of the deer density and population and geography? Yes, yes. I mean, we we do, even though we lost some deer this summer and just disappeared, I mean, we're still pretty dang fortunate that, you know, we don't have to pressure our deer a lot. We know kind of where to stay out of uh early in the season so we we pretty much have a pretty dang good idea where they're going to hole up you know especially the does right before the rut you know if that's what you want to kind of target so um there's we're in the very small percentage around the state that has the opportunity to do that so yeah not everybody has that opportunity i i just wonder I look at like an area I'm in, and so one of the things aside from any of the management and and all of that kind of thing, mm-hmm. when you get into the area you're in, it's um, there's a lot more consistency in in the geography, mm-hmm. you know, um, because you got large tracts of landowners, but you also have large tracts of land that are purpose land. They're farm mm-hmm. fields. They're ag fields. And then you have river bottom stuff that is not going to support the the typical timber industry kind of stuff that you get in hillier country, right? Mm-hmm. I mean, it kind of is what it is. You can select cut some of it, but you're not going to wipe out flooded river bottom country and turn it into a pine forest. It just won't work. So, 
when you get into this part of the state and where I'm at and lots of other parts of the state, you have more fragmentation in terms of landowner, um, mm-hmm. more smaller tracks. And with that, you have varying stages of, of, of landscape change. You know, mm-hmm. you have one private landowner over here that's got a couple thousand acres who has, you know, very limited timber harvest and it's very structured, it's very select and and whatnot. Maybe there's agriculture there too. But then across the road, you've got 20 different landowners and none of them have a plot bigger than 100 acres and they're all at different ages of clear-cut pine reforestation, mm-hmm. right? You know, and, and so... You just, to me, you, it's it's like a, I don't, I'm trying to think, of, it, it's, a, I, the, I'm, I'm wanting to say checkerboard, but it's really not even checkerboard, it's more like a puzzle piece mm-hmm. of just different, you know, different, and so you've got pockets of land that present themselves to a deer herd completely different in the same yep. geographical region as another pocket of land. Yep. And... Then with the fragmentation, you also introduce a lot more diversity in the styles of hunting that's happening here and there and around the corner and down the street and all that kind of stuff. Mm -hmm. And I think when you get into that, that's why you guys can kind of, you, you guys can kind of take a thumbtack and stick it on the calendar year after year and be pretty close to what's going on in terms of the, the phases of the rut and all that. But when you come to mm-hmm. other parts of the state, it's more like throwing a dart at the calendar yep. and hoping you hit in the right place. Yep. And it's really maddening for me because there are times where last year, I hunted with you a couple of times last year, and both of those times it was later in the season. It was around mm-hmm. Christmas and then again, like I think it was middle of January when we were doing the new scree stuff. Mm-hmm. And both, I mean, but at, at both of those times, I had pretty much gotten to the point where I felt like the rut was gone for the most part, enough to to mm-hmm. even count on in my location. So I was going and hunting with lots of different people in lots of different places, just kind of seeking out different places where there was still some rut activity. And I left cameras all out in the woods, and I went back and pulled them all in February, only to find out there was like a 10-day period in January where there were bucks on their feet in the daylight all over my property, and I never stepped foot on it. <laughs> you know, and but I would I didn't, I didn't have cell cameras running last year, so I, I have no way to know it. And it's so maddening because even with the cell cams, there's and, and with other friends that hunt in the area and, and on my property and stuff too, it's like there are days where I look at the weather – and I kind of try to analyze what I've seen and what people have told me they've been seeing. And I'm thinking, there's nothing happening. And then I, somebody randomly goes hunting or I get some trail cam data or something. I'm like, yeah, I really probably should have been hunting yesterday. <laughs> it, it just out of nowhere yesterday, it was just all over the place. And then it shuts right back down. Yeah. So the rutcation thing that of kind of making the topic of this podcast, this, this episode, the rutcation thing is really hard for for some of us <laughs> in Louisiana. It is. It is. And you know, I, I'm I'm pretty confident to say that our our buck to day ratio is really probably pretty close to right. You know, if you're kind of in the heat of the rut and you see 
maybe not just one specific spot because it can happen at, at random but you know if you go bounce around your property at a few different places and you're seeing one buck being chased by three or four or one doe being chased by three or four bucks um it's a pretty good indicator that you know there's your buck you got a few more bucks on your property than probably does and there's not a lot of places in louisiana that are like that and you know the older mature deer um in my opinion um a lot of people think that you know the bucks just get stupid and run around that crazy but you know those real old eight seven or eight year old does you know even though that they go into they may go into estrus they may be not going into estrus at all at that age but they they're still really smart and they they do find places like on our property to hole up and it's damn near impossible to get in there and hunt them just because of where they're at it may be you know a little spot out in the crp it may be a little five or ten acre little block of nothing but saw briars out there and they just kind of stay out there and you know the older bucks have been around there a while they may they know where they're going to be i mean it's like you walking in your house and knowing where your socks and your underwear are and your i mean they know those woods better than you ever will so it's uh yeah it's I, it's cool you know it's a, it's a puzzle it is very it, much it, a puzzle it is it still is even on our property i mean we've got um we got three or four deer that we've been i'd say trying to kill that are out in those crp fields and some of them some of the areas are huntable up in trees and some of them aren't but they're they're still freaking hard to kill even though you know the great property we hunt they're still wild animals so you know still I, not easy I, I mentioned on the podcast last week about the deer that my son's been hunting mm-hmm. near our house and i actually told you this we were talking on the phone i'm I've come to the conclusion now. Now the deer has kind of disappeared over the last two or three days. I haven't gotten any pictures of him, but from about December twenty second till about January the second, January first, January second, mm-hmm. he basically was about as common as my dog is on the back porch. He was there all the time. <laughs> like I mean, I literally was taking twenty or thirty pictures of him a day, and mm-hmm. my son had never seen him. And he had hunted basically, I don't know, probably made 12 or 13 sits in the stand um, during his time off from school. Now he's back at school this week. But um, I made the comment to you that I'm not really so sure. I've kind of decided that the deer must be bedding somewhere where he can see him going into that stand. Yeah. Because there's really no other explanation for a deer being – I'm talking about all hours of the day and night, and I'm talking about more than ample daylight type of opportunity, and never has has never laid eyes on him. Mm-hmm. And I'm and I'm you know I think that that probably happens to us. I'm using that to kind of segue into the the like the the point that um we all rely on trail cameras a lot, and I think. Uh, to kind of make our strategy and decide where we hunt. And I think one of the things that's like kind of the low-hanging fruit, easy thing to do is 
to say, I've got pictures of this deer here all the time. I need to get in that stand. Well, if he's literally, when, and when you say all the time, if all the time is like literally all the time, he's probably bedding really close. Very and that's probably so. not, wherever that camera is, is probably not where you're going to kill him. <laughs> probably not. Because there's probably no way to kill him there. And I don't care if he's rutting or not. Yep. You know, they're stupid during the rut, but they're not that stupid. If they're bedding no. and living in one hardwood bottom and they can see the whole bottom and they know every time you come in there, you're not going to kill him. I don't care how much you got him on camera. It's, that's true. Yep. yep. Yeah, it's, people get, I think people get too reliant on their cameras sometimes. Uh, that our other property down the road that we hunt, that's actually separate from our main camp. Uh, cell phone cameras don't really work on it. Um, the service is, for whatever reason, the service is horrible for cell phone cameras on it, which is, I actually kind of like it. Uh, it keeps me out of, I, there's a few areas on that property that I literally just don't go on just because I just want, like we talked about earlier, just kind of leave it alone and wait for the right time to go in there. And uh, there's... I don't think I ever took both of y'all in there, but there's a there's a road right off the main highway down the middle of the property. And there's a place right there that those deer just lay up right there in plain sight off the road. And uh, it's, it's kind of crazy, but they, they'll lay up right off the road and you can drive right by them and they will not move. And if you stop, you can't see them, but as soon as you stop and sit there for five, ten seconds, they all get up and just tear out of there. It's it's crazy. And if you go in there and hunt and walk in from that direction, morning or afternoon, you're going to blow them out. Uh, I went in there and actually came in on the back side of them over the break and saw saw one shooter in there with a the doe. He was within 100 yards of me all morning with the doe, snort wheezing and running bucks off and I, may, I don't know if I sent y'all a picture. I passed up a hammer three-year-old in there that's – he is going to be yeah. a stud next year if if he makes it. Hopefully nobody shoots him. So, hmm. but – Well, it's um, it's been an interesting year. I, I'm, I mean, I, I'm happy that everybody had such, such – you know, good success throughout the holidays, throughout this time of the year, it's always seems to be the preferred and favorite time for so many people to hunt. But I really hope we don't do this again. Like, I don't like 80-degree Christmas. Yeah. No, it is miserable. <laughs> I agree Levi, with that. Are, are the sloughs on your property, are they full? Are they dry or it's very, It's very, very dry right now over there. Same thing with you. Uh, that slough where I killed that, killed that buck that i told y'all about earlier it's it's bone dry um y'all remember y'all remember driving across those flooded breaks uh where the rock roads were Mm -hmm. all right that second one where the food the food plot is in between the two breaks um that's actually well that's actually mountains bayou that runs down beside right there and you can literally cross that thing in in shin high rubber boots right now. It's incredibly dry. Yeah, yeah. I don't. That, that's uh, a warm a warm fall and really dry weather. I don't. 
I don't know. I don't know what I think about that in terms of what that's going to look like in a year or two. What kind of mm-hmm. effect that's going to have? Obviously, I I think I, I'm not a. I don't study this stuff that much, but I don't think that's very good for the prospects of any kind of EHD or blue tongue or any of that kind of stuff. You know, we actually we actually had a really wet spring and early summer over there. It was actually really wet leading up to early season. And I actually talked to a biologist. He actually works for Louisiana Wildlife and Fisheries and he had seen a lot of EHD this summer too. And it was, it, it really surprised him that as wet as our spring was that, that he had that many encounters with it this summer. Mm-hmm. And when I called him and told him, I was like, look, I think I got one out here on my property. That's, you know, wandering around. I'm sitting here 80 yards from him talking on the phone. He's just out there walking around in circles. And he said, yeah, that's exactly what it is. So, yeah. Yeah. I saw a news clipping the other day. I think it was in um right across the river from you. What what county is in Mississippi right across from you around Vicksburg? What county is that? Uh you would have to know. I'm I'm I can't remember. I have absolutely no idea. I may be wrong about this, but I'm pretty sure it was whatever county Vicksburg, Mississippi is. So pretty mm-hmm. much right across the river, just north of mm-hmm. the Tinsaw area. Mm-hmm. Um, that part of Louisiana, straight across the river, they had a uh, a pretty large. Um, I mean, the picture is actually just weird looking because the deer has got really big horns, and you can tell it's a mature deer, but at the same time, it's shriveled up, and you know they found it was dead and, and tested positive, and 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 that was like a week or two ago. So, um, but CWD, yeah, yeah. So we I, haven't we haven't had a C, to my knowledge, in I may get corrected by this, but I don't think still that Louisiana has had a positive case of CWD. I don't think. Right. Um, I think the Louisiana Wildlife and Fisheries, because I've, I've actually seen it, they had a chart, I think it was on their website, of a certain amount of tests that they've done on deer. And we had, we didn't do it this year, but last year, um Every deer we were killing, we were, you know, cutting the jawbones out for DMAP and all that stuff and actually saving the heads. And that biologist that I was talking about, he was coming by and getting them, and they were actually testing them for CWD. Mm. And so far, I hadn't had a case. I'm I'm not a – I'm not one of those uh, conspiracy theorists when it comes to CWD, but I – my personal opinion, I think EHD is a lot more detrimental to the deer herd than CWD is, in my opinion. Yeah, I think it's. Uh, I think it's probably fair to assume at this point that it's it's there, it's been there, yep. it's always going to be there to a certain extent, and yep. not and not it's... every case of it is the introduction of a pandemic. You know, it, it's, it just kind of, it's there. We, it's probably always been there to a certain extent. And it's just, there's just more, there, there's more uh, media about it. There's more awareness of it. Hyper, maybe mm-hmm. hyper awareness is the better way to put it. And so every case gets brought out kind of in the same way COVID 
working. Mm-hmm. <laughs> every every time it happens, it gets sensationalized because we're all afraid of a pandemic sort of breakout. But I think it's just kind of something that our deer live with. Um, yep, it's and, it's been around a long time. I you can quote me on this and look it up yourselves, but I think the first reported case of CWD was in 1967 in Colorado. It was a high-fenced mule deer facility, I believe, somewhere in Colorado. I don't remember exactly where, but I kind of educated myself on that two or three years ago. The Meat Eater had a really good podcast on it. They had a really good biologist come on there and talk about it. And uh, this is a little bit off subject, but uh, this fall I went up mule deer hunting up in Colorado, and the guy I went with said that they have they've had CWD up there. They've had it up there for years, and he he's been around it most of his life. And he kind of basically told me that you know he's yes they get it, but it's not something that's going to just kill off the deer herd. I mean, he said he's even seen deer that you know while they're out there hunting, you can kind of tell the ones that may have it. And it seems like the real older deer once yeah. they get you know, past maturity or something, you'll see them kind of off by themselves away from the deer and they're acting really strange and erratic. And they've killed a couple that have tested positive, but yeah. EHD wipes them out quick. CWD may be, you know, it may take them a few years to die from it, from yeah. everything I've read. So, well, I think but, we, it's, it's, yeah. And, I I don't I don't I don't I don't know I don't have a a big opinion about it other than no uh, just as long as we can deer hunt still that's all <laughs> <laughs> yeah yeah um, well Levi we've kept you more than an hour we appreciate you coming on talking with us about your uh, your holiday hunting and your your rut opinions yep. about it and all that um Kyler when are you going back to work um. Uh, well, I worked today for a little bit. I went in for a couple hours, and I came back out to the woods, and then I'll probably be back in. I got a, an appointment at 9 a.m. on Monday morning, so that'll probably be it. Uh, probably keep me back in the high gear. I work my butt off between January and September and October, and then I, I lull out in October and try, try to go put on autopilot for the rest of the season. Yeah. Smart man. Yeah. It's the way to do yeah. it. If you can do it, that's the way to do it. Yeah. Levi said he's trying to catch Omicron so he can go quarantine at the camp. Yeah. <laughs> I did say that. That's <laughs> not a bad idea. <laughs> real, well, considering the, the general reports about Omicron and what it actually does and how severe it is, it's probably a great idea. <laughs> yeah. All right, yeah. before we go, Kyle, you got to tell us a story about your uh, – more elaborate story about your zebra cake bribe you got on public land the other day is that really true or are you making that up no i just made that up have you, have you, not, have you, you never you never seen those videos it, so that that that's the g-rated version of the, <laughs> the video that's gone around yeah, about the cookies the g-rated version of the video the video of the guy where it's like yeah it's like 20 dollar bill he offered, no, he offered me a, a six-pack of Heineken if, I, if I'd show him my dick. He's like, man, get out of here, you weirdo. And then he's like, oh, I saw him walking over that way. He's got a Heineken in his hand, right? Yeah. 
Yes, uh, I know. I, I, I saw more I've of a murdered version of that. It's funny. I've yeah. been uh I've been I've been packing the zebra cakes this week uh for mid midday snacks and <laughs> and I was like, Man, let me let me make something funny out of this. It's a pretty slow that morning was, in the stand way. Yeah, that was really funny. Well guys, I'm getting on an airplane in the morning and I'm going to the ATA show, so hopefully next week and in the coming weeks I'll have all kind of interesting and um information about new stuff in the archery industry. That's supposed to be what I'm going to find out. That'll be fun, man. So hopefully yep. I can I sure. can bring some breaking news on something new and exciting that's happening in the world of archery. Yeah, go see what go see what new crossbows are coming out. See I if bet they have you. like a triple threat. <laughs> 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 yeah. Yeah, let me see. Let me, let me see what they got. They got, they got a, a new crossbow that shoots 850 feet per second. That's <laughs> Shit crazy, like man. that. Yeah, that's really semi-auto pump action crossbow. <laughs> <laughs> Something like that. Anyway, all right, you guys. Enjoyed it. Thank you, Levi, again for coming on. Um, Thank you, guys. Yeah, I, um, I will be back on Monday, hopefully – with a lot of exciting news about the archery industry and hopefully uh Kyler will have some success on his last final days of his little rutcation and he'll have another great story something another zebra cake story something like that <laughs> we, we don't know we're gonna we're gonna fly by the seat of our pants we'll figure it out either way we're gonna talk to you next week thank you guys for your support check us out at louisianabowhunter.com get you some gear if you didn't get any for christmas go get you some if you got if you got a, a store or a shop somewhere around you that's not got Louisiana Bowhunter gear, give us a shout. We'll see if we can't get some in the store. Until then, we'll talk to you next week. Thank you for listening to this week's episode of the Louisiana Bowhunter Podcast. If you have anybody you'd like to hear on the show, reach out to us at info at louisianabowhunter.com. And if you want to help support Louisiana Bowhunter, go by your local archery shop and pick up some merchandise. If you don't have any at your local shop, let us know and we'll reach out to them. Or pick up your gear at louisianabowhunter.com and we'll ship it out to you same day. See you next week.